Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poon. This is episode 158. I am joined on a very gloomy, miserable uh, Sunday morning by my co-host, Stacy. That's at Stacy by the United Stacy. What's going on? Doing pretty good. Sounded like it. Very excited to be here. Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, and we are joined... By not a first time guest, but first time in a long time. Uh, his name is Derek Reifer. You can find him on Twitter at says it Reifer. No, you got it. You got it. Reifer. Okay, and it's at <laughs> D Reif. Uh, at D. He's always got Reifer on the mind. That's why. Always. always. Cannot uh, confirm. <laughs> you will know him as the founder of at Corner Three Sports. Also, and he runs. RJ Barrett Sats, which has had a uh, an inconsistent year, we could say, uh, yes. <laughs> and um, also uh, analytics, right? Yes, yes Anal, analytics. <laughs> <laughs> the pronunciations are on point this morning. Before we get started today, uh, I just want to let everybody know that the Strickland does have a Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There are multiple tiers. Uh, the $6 tier gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. It also gets you access to mine, Jeremy, and Doug's, Drew, uh, our mailbag together. It also gets you access to the Strickland Discord, where we commiserate about the Knicks all the time. Uh, also, if you subscribe to the $9 tier, you get access to weekly articles from Jack Hunley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business in terms of writing in general, uh, but more specifically, basketball writing, and even more specifically, Knicks writing. Uh, so definitely check that out. You also get access to po- uh, sorry, my podcast, uh, the individual one, Strick and Roll, uh, if you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks. Uh, other than that, there are also further tiers, $15, $30, $50, and $100 tiers. Uh, all of those come with additional benefits, like discounts on merchandise, uh, joining us on pod recordings, and even potentially hosting a podcast with us. Uh, Whether you subscribe or not, we want to thank you for your support. And without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, yeah, so the Knicks, uh, they they had their second straight game against Boston. Uh, Did not go as well or exciting. I don't know, however you want to phrase it. Uh, They dropped a game, 99-75. to It really just kind of petered out in the second half. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess Stacy, uh, what what did you think um, uh, of of I guess the game, the performance, whatever, take whatever you want. Um, I mean, I think they really just ran out of gas. They were then going on an eight man rotation, um, so you know they started out the game really well. Um, I thought quickly gave them good energy. Um, and you know there was good ball movement. Their defense was pretty spirited. 
Uh, and then they came out flat in the third quarter. Stop me if you've heard that before. Um, and But I, I really just think they ran out of gas. I mean, the rotations were uh, quickly, I think, didn't even sit after the first quarter. He played the entire one. And then I think he played another another three or four minutes at least in the second. Um, I was a little surprised that there was no Deuce McBride. Um, quickly had a good game, but he definitely faded a little bit in the second half. Tibbs said the press conference he wanted quickly to take charge a little bit more. That's probably more a general commentary on his game, and, and we can talk about that. Um, but it, it it seemed to me like that was a big issue, and I would have, um, and not so much for quickly, but Burks never really got into a flow in the game. I would have liked to see Deuce um, a to to kind of rest some of those players, but also they could have used another jolt of energy um, in general to to pick up the squad. Um, but I'm, I'm not gonna look. They split a series with a team that in my opinion, has two players that are better than anyone on the, the Knicks, right? Um, Tatum and Brown. If you want to disagree on Jalen Brown, that's fine. But uh, you have those two guys. You have pretty good veteran player in Marcus Smart, another one in Al Horford, and then Robert Williams, who right now, yeah, I mean, I think Mitch can be better, but right now Robert Williams has been outplaying him. That's a pretty good starting five, and we split with them. And sometimes you're going to get taken on the chin, and the Knicks were shorthanded down Kemba, Rose, and Fournier um, two days after getting blown out. So, um, and they did get, oh, sorry, two days after not getting blown out, two days after coming back to beat this team. So the Celtics were pissed off. Um, and, you know, you had to think that they were going to try not to lose this game. And they had the ability to make that happen. And the Knicks were without Rose, Kemba, and Fournier. And uh, so I'm not freaking out too much about that game. I I didn't like the effort in the second half, but I think there were a lot of explanatory factors. And yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Um, Derek, yeah, I mean, I think Stacy nailed most of it. Um, I I'm not freaking out too much about it either, but because I don't have championship aspirations is the reason I'm not freaking out. Not because I. Feel like they're gonna ready the ship and get back to the four seed. Um, frankly, is is my opinion on that. Um, I liked what we saw from from quickly. I think it was, if not the most, it was the second most minutes he's ever played in a game. Um, Thirty seven minutes, and he played well. He was highly efficient. One of his more efficient games of the season, which was great to see. Um, the two point scoring from this team has just been absolutely brutal. It's not just one person. Um, I think it's a weakness for both Barrett and quickly, which is something to keep an eye on long-term, um, especially when... 18 of 48 two yesterday. Yeah, especially when the point guard play isn't available with Kemba and Rose out. Uh, when you have a rim protector like Robert Williams on the other side, it's going to be almost impossible to score. He had four blocks. I think he may have had five the previous game. Um, so clearly not something Tibbs was able to game plan against coming into the second game. I'll put it that way. Um, not that they necessarily have the have the bodies out there, but uh, I think Stacy mentioned we played an eight-man rotation. I think it was really a seven-man rotation. I mean, Toppin played nine minutes. Um, that was yeah. it. There were seven guys who played 18 or more minutes. So uh, he really didn't use anything. I think it would have been a good opportunity to use <clears throat> Randall and Toppin together. I know that's in one of your buttons, but uh, – I mean, when you have a rim protector in there who's just dominating the play of the game, um, Robert Williams was 
a game high plus 23 yesterday. So yeah, th- those are my thoughts on that. I, I think they kind of came in with the same exact game plan, but without 40 points from Evan Fournier. So <laughs> I think that was pretty much the story. Um, yeah, I don't want to go too much into Tibbs yet because I think uh, it's always fun to, or it's easy to just blame the coach. But um, yeah, like I thought, uh, like I don't care that they lost really. I mean, I care that they lost, but I didn't, it's not like some unbelievable result. It's not like losing two games to the Magic, right? It's a little bit different. Um, I thought uh, they started off fine. I thought they started off really well. I thought they petered out. I thought, I, I to be honest, I thought in the second quarter they got fucked a little bit by the refs, and that kind of took away. Like they extended the lead out to ten, and then you just got a bunch of really weird no calls for the Knicks, and then calls in favor for the Celtics, which. Yeah, sure, you can tell me the Knicks only shot 6 of 15 from the free throw line, and, you know, uh, the Celtics really only got 17 free throws to the Knicks 15, but I thought um, not being rewarded for your efforts going to the rim or blatantly missing calls and things like that, uh, I thought that affected how they approached the game from that point forward. Uh, Specifically, Julius really, I mean, if you watched, it felt like he was a lot more tentative attacking the basket. versus how he started the game, which, you know, he wasn't even really, like, looking to score a bunch at the start of the game. He had four assists in the first quarter, if I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it took away from his kind of decisiveness that that really was the key to any chance we had of winning this game because, um, as you said, we were out. Not just Fournier, who has been amazing against Boston, but also, uh, obviously, Rose and Kemba. So the playmaking burden just kind of goes so heavily on him at that point. Um, I, I just, I didn't like his set. I thought he was fine in the first half. I know he had a bunch of turnovers. I didn't care. I thought he played pretty well in the first half. I know he shot like crap. Again, I thought he played well. Uh, I didn't like how he played the second half. I thought, uh, you know, I, I the, the whole, you know, uh, telling Knicks fans to shut the fuck up and that entire thing. I don't care about it, to be honest. Um, but when you say something like that, um, it falls on you to, I mean, it's going to be a talking point. So, um, you know, it falls on you to really carry the team in moments. And they got behind by what, 10 pretty early in the second half. And he just kind of hung his head and, you know, uh, went through emotions and, you know, was getting frustrated and, did his whole checked out Randall thing. Um, at the end of the third quarter, I don't know if you guys remember this, Boston made a three. Uh, this is like with like a second and a half left or something. And obviously you're not going to get a shot off there. Even if you are, it's going to be a prayer, right? It's not a big deal. But Randall just kind of like walked off the court before the inbounds even happened. Um, and actually Todd struggled to get the ball in. Finally, somebody got open. I think it might've been Burks. I don't know who. Um, but like, I'm sorry. That's just like really shitty leadership and really shitty body language from a guy that's supposed to be like, again, you say the things he said. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to get on him too much. The six of 19, one of eight from three, only 13 points, but like, yeah, you need him to shoot better, but you also just need more from him beyond the scoring and shooting is, you know, the numbers are fine. I, they are what they are, but you need a lot more in terms of effort and leadership and inspiration quite frankly and if he can't summon in summon it from himself um it really puts the entire team in a deficit 
especially in a game like this where Burks had nothing. Uh, RJ started off hot, cooled off, and like you mentioned, struggles uh, to score from two. I mean, that was also compounded by the Robert Williams thing, which we'll get into. Um, you know, you just need more from him, and I just I did not think he did a good job of giving the team... Look, it may, I think they probably get beaten and probably beaten comfortably either way. But I just wanted, I expected, and I think it's fair to expect a lot more from him in the second half. Um, uh, going to back to Barrett, uh, I thought he started off well, and I think he was also a victim of, he got hit on a few drives in the first half that I thought were clear fouls. He didn't get rewarded for. He only went one five from the line, so who the fuck knows if he even capitalizes on it. But I thought that impacted his approach uh, at various points. But that said, like, you just need more from him on a game like this. Um, I don't look again, seven twenty one for 19 points four nine from three. Um, yeah. He needs to be better in terms of scoring efficiency, but I also think you just need, he just needs to be better. Like he needs to play better. He needs to create better. Um, I don't know if he could have made like people were like, well, why isn't he just passing it to Mitch? Cause Robert Williams coming over. I, I would challenge you to go watch those plays again and tell me how exactly he was supposed to get it to Mitch. Um, who, you know, let's be honest, has not had the greatest hands either on dump-off passes this year. But um, I didn't think his angles were great to get him the ball. Um, I also thought that on a few of those occasions, like, this guy is, what, 6'6", 230, whatever the fuck he is. Um, He's got to be able to dislodge guys when he goes to the rim because he's not like some super bursty player that's going to like blow by dude. So he's got to use his, his strength and uh, muscle mass to, to really create separation contact and, and get and finish through and around the rim. And I just thought there were a few occasions yesterday where he like, he had one on Horford, which was good, or was it might've been Cantor, but like he just went into him, created the space and hit a little, you know, a little shot over him. A little it's freedom. Schwinney. Yeah. I don't care. Fuck him. Um, <laughs> and you know, um, like that was nice, but then you see, like, it's like he doesn't trust himself against different guys. There was one he had a baseline drive in the fourth quarter on Jalen Brown, and he had a step on him. He was ahead of him, but he didn't. And I get that, like he's not the most vertical athlete, so he's probably worried about getting a rear view contest. But it's like you can slow down there and maintain that separate, like keep, like you got to keep him pinned there. Um, and then you can either go up with it or when Robert Williams comes over as he's apt to do, you can dump it off to whoever the big was that point. It might've been Taj. I don't remember. Um, and just generally like there needs to be more patience and craft when he gets, when he's driving, um, especially around there, especially something like Robert Williams. I mean, did the Knicks pump fake Robert Williams once in the two games they played? I don't remember that. And this guy loves to jump at shit. So, uh, I, I just thought there was there was stuff there that he needs to improve on um and you know it was disappointing because i thought uh he showed an understanding of like the first three quarters of that game against boston on thursday were brutal for him and i thought in the fourth quarter he was actually really good um i thought he adjusted to the fact that robert williams camps out at the rim um he was spraying passes out he was creating better and i thought i was hoping that he would carry that over more into this game and like he did take a like i think he took three pull-up middies he banked in one after he got fouled on it uh and then he missed the other two but like like I'm, i I understand he's not 
good. I mean, the percentages are not good yet uh, on pull-up shooting, but like, I'm sorry, like you just—he just needed to do more of that today, uh, or yesterday, rather, I should say. I, I just thought he showed a real lack of belief in himself, and um, that's pretty frustrating. Um, and quite frankly, I would say that for the people that are concerned about RJ Barrett, it was a, a point. It was another, um, you know, point of favor for them in that, you know, like, I mean, what, what is he going like in terms of shot creation, there just needs to be more attempts to do things beyond force his way to the rim. Um, that's great. to, And especially if he's not going to, uh, have the craft and guile to, to get to the line more or create separation at the rim in different ways. Um, so I, I just thought it was a very blah performance from him that was disappointing because without Fournier there, you expect him to step up. Um, I do want to go back to something uh, Stacy touched on, uh, which was what Tib said about quickly. And what I would say to that is it is very hard to, yes, maybe quickly should have done more in the second half. I agree he should have. I tweeted it out. He got to switch on Grant Williams a few times, and instead of just taking him on, he, like, dribbled around and threw it to Randall in the post or whatever. And it's like, I just, I feel like there are times where that is a function of, you know, he hasn't played point guard a lot this year because God knows what reason. Um, and, I mean, like, this is the thing, right? I, I, I've gotten... I've criticized, I've criticized Ime Udoka. A lot of people have for him, like constantly calling guys out in the press. Um, and you know, I don't think it's like, like Tibbs, obviously he hasn't really done that. And that's a credit to him. That's good. I, I don't really want my coach to just randomly start calling people out publicly. What I don't like about that is he's kind of like divorcing himself from what the players are doing on the court, which I think is pretty bullshit. Um, and the reason I bring that up is I think it's kind of bullshit for Tibbs to be like, well, you know, he's got to learn and um, he's, uh, you know, I liked how he played, but, you know, he's got to, like, be more, like, yeah, he's got to be more aggressive, but guess what? Like, it's kind of hard to just be aggressive when you don't have that experience and you haven't been empowered to be that aggressive previously. Um, I don't know what he was saying in the sideline. Maybe he was telling him to score. Maybe he was telling him to, to look for his, for, you know, for his own shot. Um, but it's hard to just have that understanding of when to do that as a point guard. And, um, you know, like, I'm not saying this is not to equate what Tib said to the things you know, because it's not the same thing. It's more just about, um, I think when quickly isn't looking for a shot in those instances that, probably is partially coming as a result of kind of how he's been used and, and pulled around and stuff throughout the course of this season. Um, but yeah, he did need to shoot more yesterday uh, and, and he needs to be comfortable. You know, Julius didn't have it. So there are times where he needs to understand like, okay, Julius doesn't have it. I do like, like I, I don't care if he's asking for the ball. I'm not going to give it to him. And um, you know, there was, there's a lot of that going on. So uh, the other thing I, I didn't, I mean, I thought Tibbs was calling. It seemed like anyway that Tibbs started calling a lot more plays um, starting around, you know, maybe midway through the second quarter and on uh, and not letting them kind of 
do their own thing more. And I thought that took the entire team a little bit out of the uh, the good flow and pace that they were playing with earlier in the game. And, uh, you know, what quickly had, I think, 12 points in the first half, and then he had six in the second. I mean, I know he didn't play the fourth quarter barely at all. Maybe, I don't think he played at all, actually, in the fourth. Um, but, yeah, I just thought, you know, uh, it was like kind of annoying to to see what um, to like. I just think that a lot of how quickly played is a result of how he's been used and coached up throughout the course of the season, too. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, go ahead, Stacy. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. I mean, I think Schwinn had made a lot of points there. I think that kind of made me think. I wonder how Tibbs would treat Julius Randall if he started coaching the team two years ago instead of one year ago. I'm interested to see how that season would have gone and how this season may have gone. Um, yeah, I think you made a lot of good points. I think the Randall thing, you know, obviously the the stupid apology. Um, I would rather him apologize for the product he's putting out on the court than anything he says to the press or, or gives a thumbs down. This actually happened for my Mets fans out there. This happened to the Mets, this literal exact situation this past season. Um, Javier Baez gave a thumbs down to the fans. Um, it became a big controversy. Next game, he came back and scored the game-winning run and went on an absolutely insane tear the next few days. Um, so Randall, not quite doing that so far. Um, and then the IQ thing, yeah. I mean, I thought I was super encouraged by by what we saw yesterday. Um, high usage performance. He's shown he can do it in high usage. He's shown he could do it low usage. I think Stacy had a, had a good tweet about that either this morning or last night. Um, so wanted to props for that. And then the RJ thing, um, the finishing, it just hasn't been there this season. Um, it hasn't been there his whole career. The process doesn't really seem to have changed. Uh, Schwinn noted that he's strong, but he doesn't really have the athleticism or the guile around the basket. Um, he's continued to show not really any change in his approach at, at attacking the rim. He still likes to kind of fade away from contact, fade away from guys against someone like Robert Williams. He's just going to get swallowed up. I mean, this year he's shooting basically the same percentage at the rim as he shot his whole career. And he's actually being assisted way more at the rim as well. So, I mean, there's an argument that his finishing has actually gotten worse this season. Um, even with better spacing around him at most times. So I think that's really the, the hardest thing to see, um, especially when his, his shooting has regressed this year too. So not very encouraging stuff um, from RJ this season offensively. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been hurt at times. It's been tough for him to get into a rhythm. Um, there's a lot going on there. Um, I mean, with Quickly, I think it's it's a fair point that he hasn't been in that role as much. But um, but partly I think it comes down to exactly what we were just talking about with RJ. It's that if you can't threaten every part of the floor, which I think quickly tries to get the most of his current skill set. Like um, you know, he's added some of the mid range, the true mid range shooting as opposed to the floaters. Um, he's added kind of that wrong footed uh, pseudo layup floater near the rim. Um, you know, he's move. I thought his movement off ball was really good. Um, that's kind of, you know, when you do play him on ball a lot, you almost lose that because he is one of the, the better movers off ball. Um, there was a really good play early on. I think this might have been the first bucket of the game uh, where Julius had the ball in the high post 
did quickly back cut and Randall hit him and then quickly had a touch pass right to Mitch, right? That, I mean, he gets, you know, when we're all delirious in our comparisons, we'll, we'll bring up Steph, but that really was a play that was reminiscent of Steph. That wasn't just a 30 foot bomb, right? This was kind of the subtlety and like, that's really what, um, what makes Steph so hard to defend off ball. But I think that, um, in terms of being aggressive, there's always going to be a limit as long as quickly cannot threaten the, the bottom third, um, of the paint. Um, so I think that's part of it. RJ is, yeah, I mean, it's been a disappointment. Um, I, so Derek, actually, do you have um? So the finishing stats I go by are Basketball Reference, um, but I know that includes transition. I know that includes uh, that's zero to three feet. I know that might include you know some uncontested. Do you have a cleaner kind of number for his rim finishing? Yeah, so there are obviously a few sources you could use. Um, one of them I'm I'm looking at is dunksandthrees dot com. Um, that shows rim versus mid versus three point. Uh, he he's fifty two percent at the rim this year per dunks and threes. That would be and does 50. that include transition? Sorry, that does include transition. That's just based on location. Um, the other thing you could do is you could look at cleaning the glass. Yeah. Um, and if you go to cleaning the glass, you can actually that's just assisted percentage. Um, shooting accuracy at the rim, cleaning the glass has him at 57% at the rim. So there are different numbers. NBA.com has a 57% too. Uh, I think probably the dunks and threes one is including like all those floaters he... Yeah, so he's... Yeah, so cleaning the glass has a deeper breakdown. They also have short mid where he's shooting 30%. Um, yeah. so maybe you average those two together, you get to the 52, um, cleaning the glass also takes out garbage time. So I'm not, there are not always completely apples to apples, but it, it, it's, it hasn't been a big improvement at the rim this season. And no matter how you slice it, he's still in the lower percentile. I mean, the 57% of the rim, if you go by that, that's still 33rd percentile. So not, not yeah. great. What I mean, thing I, wanted- I, think, I was just going to say the, the thing that actually really bothers me about some of the things he's doing this year. Um, I remember last year he'd get switches and he used to do a thing where he'd pull it back out, throw it to Randall, Randall would throw it back to him and then he would yep. have a head, like head of speed. like speed toward the basket. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't seen that once this year. Like, I, like, and I'm not saying that he can't do it anymore. Or something. It's I haven't seen it. I don't know what the fuck happened. But it, like, honestly, I'm watching RJ this year and I'm watching the entire team to, to be completely fair. Not the entire team, but specifically him and Julius this year. And I feel like I'm watching two guys who figured something out last year of how to play off of each other and maybe and it was probably easier because they didn't have to worry they didn't need to worry about giving fucking Alfred Payne touches or you know Bullock like Bullock was gonna do one thing right you didn't have to worry about getting him touches um and it feels like I'm watching these two guys who figured something out last year and now they're just playing like so like it's like that lack of consistency game to game from each of them it's almost reflected in kind of like they don't know how to get back to a consistent decision-making pattern. And that's really what is frustrating to me watching RJ. Like, um, you know, even, even there's small things you can do too. Like, Hey, like you didn't get, you didn't create a separation for a good shot. Keep your dribble alive, pull the ball back out. Like, that's fine. You can do that. That's, there's no fucking rule against it. Him and quickly both do this, by the way. Um, with quickly, it's a little bit more understandable to me. Uh, but, 
like RJ does that all the time, and I don't understand it at all. And sometimes he'll kill the dribble, and then he's like stuck in the paint, and then he's got to find some like bullshit pass out that doesn't help anything. Um, just keep your dribble alive, pull the ball out, and then you can reset, or you probably got to switch at that point, and then you can attack again. Um, th- those are the two things for me that I'm when I watch him this year, I'm like very very disappointed in um those two very specific elements of attacking the rim. Yeah, and that the numbers have bared that out. I tweeted something similar from the analytics account recently. Um if you look at their passing numbers to each other, this is for from per36.com. You guys should check it out. Last year, Barrett passes to Randall. Randall shot 48% and 46% from three on those passes. Randall passes to Barrett. Barrett shot 47% and 49% from three. This year, it's a far cry. When Barrett passes to Randall, he's shooting 29%, 28% from three. Randall passes to Barrett, 35%, 29% from three. I mean, both of them have shot more poorly from both the field and from three overall than last season, but not as, as precipitous a drop-off as we saw there. Um, also, just the volume of passes isn't quite the same. Last season, the, Randall passed to RJ. or That was the second most passes Randall thrown to any teammate was to RJ. This year, RJ's fifth on his list uh, after Kemba, Fournier, Alec Burks, and Rose. So something seems to be going on with the chemistry with each other from those two, which is really bizarre considering just how last season went and considering that ostensibly there is more room to operate around these guys offensively there should be a better environment to to kind of continue to kindle this relationship on the court just hasn't happened yeah it it does feel like i know the spacing should be better but and i think the spacing one to four is better but at the same time i it feels like teams are even less like they're ignoring our fives even more this year. Like it, it always. I don't remember a game where we just got so many multiple easy fours to them. Like even the Pacers game where RJ had a really good finishing game. I didn't think those finishes were like easy or uncontested. I just thought they created enough space for him to get to the rim. And then like, you know, I mean, the the Robert Williams stuff yesterday was just the last two games have been fucking ridiculous to watch. Um, especially the unwillingness to like even attempt to challenge him in a different way. And I don't mean that just specifically in terms of like the guys driving to the rim, trying to do other things, be it lob it to Mitch or try a wraparound pass or whatever. Um, I also just mean that in terms of like, you know, well, let's be honest here, like fucking try Randall at the five because when Randall got matched up on uh, Robert Williams on Thursday, he did a great job. He attacked him. He got to the rim multiple times, finished multiple times. I uh, got to the free throw line a few times. Like, I just don't, I really struggle to understand uh, the unwillingness to challenge a team in a different way. And like, I, I, I would be very curious to see what the Knicks' record is on the second night of these, um, you know, back-to-back games against the same team. Uh, I would imagine they've done very poorly um, just because of Tibbs's like unwillingness to, 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 to change tactic at all. Um, it, it just probably is a lot easier for teams on the second straight game to, to figure things out. And not that we're a very complex offense to begin with. Yeah. So I mean, this is, this is only the second, sorry, Stacey, just quick answer to Schwinn's comment. This is only the second back to back against the same team they've had this season. The first one was Orlando. They lost the second game and that yeah. now Boston 
last night. They lost the second game. <laughs> I wonder how many there were last season. Um, so actually, last season they had one against Chicago. They won the second game. Had one against Miami. They lost the second game. Washington. They actually won the second game against Washington. So that was a brutal game. Though, I remember last that. season. That Washington. Yeah, they won one hundred six, one hundred two. That was the one I think where where Barrett turned up in the second half. Burks had twenty seven. Yes, I do remember this game. Yeah, it was a hideous game until like the last fifteen minutes of it, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Stacy, go ahead. Yeah, the other question I had, um, so especially, I mean, I I saw the thread you posted about um, you know Randall not finding RJ, not being having the same chemistry with RJ. In general, it seems like there's been a lot of. Um, I, I guess, like, especially a lot of the trends we're seeing, right? Um, another thing, for example, quickly shooting 27% from three. Randall's shooting has, you know... Is that has, from passes from Randall? No, 20... Sorry, did I say 27? I meant 27% yeah. from the corner. Sorry. Um, so quickly shooting 27% from the corner after shooting 37% last year. He's actually sh- shooting pretty much the same above the break. So you'd think that if that goes back to what you'd expect, at least to to last year's average, let alone the fact that most really good shooters are much better from the corner. But that's an example of, uh, so, so that um, Randall's regression in shooting and then, you know, RJ's shooting regression. Are there indicators that tell you that, that that's going, that, that that's regression versus this is kind of the new normal? Um, you know, how do you kind of parse that out? So <clears throat> I think that's an interesting point, and there's always, you're always looking for different indicators for these kinds of things. There's not necessarily one thing you can look at. I think the best one to look at generally that's you know publicly available and easy to describe is just free throw percentage. Raw free throw percentage uh, tends to trend better or more consistently year over year uh, as a predictor of three-point percentage than actual raw three-point percentage itself. It seems to kind of not make sense, but... Uh, you know, obviously we talk about three-point noise and all this luck stuff. Um, free throw percentage tends to be the better predictor of shooting overall. Obviously, quickly has been unreal from the line. He shot 89% his rookie year, 93% this year so far. Um, Barrett, not so much. Uh, he shot a career-high 75% last year. This year, he's down to 69%. He was one for five from the line last night. So, yeah, I, I mean... I think even just looking at those free throw percentages, you wouldn't have expected him to shoot 40% from three. I don't have the calcs in front of me, but he would have been probably one of the few players to ever shoot that bad from the line and, and that well from three. I think Andre Iguodala has done that kind of stuff in his career. Um, Randall has been okay from the free throw line. Um, not great, but he's regressed there this season. He shot 81% from the line last year, 76% this year. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how much of it is like the – Fans in the stands thing quickly has improved his free throw percentage this year, though. So, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think anyone would deny that he's the best shooter of the three, but um, yeah, that's what I would look at. Um, yeah, I, I'm remain just very unperturbed by whatever quickly shooting percentage is, just because, like, there's enough of a sample going back to college that he's a great shooter. Um, and I also think some of his shooting struggles are probably related. I not not I. I mean, we don't use him in a, in a way that really capitalizes on his full shooting skill set. Um, if you look at if you watch, go watch his highlights from Kentucky. Like 
I mean, what was the main concern with him coming out of college, right? Well, can he really create anything for himself off the dribble? That was like one of the main concerns. And I know, Stacey, you had written whatever that huge thing and he was part of it. But like, I think what you noted is that he had a very high isolation points per possession, but it was a very, very small sample. So who knows if this would actually, you know, translate to a higher usage and if he really can be a good shot creator. I think we've seen through two years in the NBA um, that he can be a pretty decent shot creator, mostly because we have not leveraged his off-ball shooting aside from spot-up. You know, yeah, he gets spot-up looks, but there's ways to use off-ball guys more than that. And this is not a criticism just of how we use quickly, but a broader one of the entire team um, and falls on Tibbs. But like, I don't, I mean, we don't run him off the ball in any, like, you know, you mentioned the Steph comparison. Obviously he's not Steph because Steph is one of one, but like, if you're going to have a player who brings some of those skills, even if none of them are anywhere near as good as Steph's, um, to not take advantage of all of them seems very, very foolish to me. Uh, and you could see, you. I mean, we saw that yesterday. We've seen that all, series, all season, sorry, um, where you have this guy who, again, go and watch his, like, Kentucky highlights. Go and watch them. They're, they're all like him running off of screens and catching, turning, and squaring up and shooting. Like, he has so many, like, he he has that skill set. We've, we've even seen glimpses of it in the NBA, most of them off-script plays. But, like, there's just no attempt to use him in that capacity. and Or not consistently with any, you know, there, there's no consistency to it. Um, I think the same goes for a guy like Evan. And some of this is also about personnel. Like, you don't have good screeners. So that's part of it also. But I do think that a lot of it is a tactical thing. And, you know, that was a that was something I thought was interesting about what Tib said yesterday is that, like, he basically mentioned, he, he more or less, said, you know, quickly has to look to attack more, right? I think that was kind of what he hinted at. But it's like, I agree, he does. But also, like, there's ways to use him. There's ways to use players beyond, like, create a favorable matchup for them and then have them go get a bucket. You know, like... And, you know, I just feel like, you know, I, I don't don't want, I don't watch this team and feel like we're playing a style that's conducive to getting the most out of this team offensively. That isn't, maybe I, I, I'm sure I definitely overestimated what their potential ceiling could be offensively, but like, I mean, we're playing at the slowest pace in the NBA. We're playing at a, a pace slower than last year at this point. Um. We are, by basketball reference, uh, our pace is, again, last in the league, 95.2 per NBA.com. Uh, our pace is 95.6, also last in the league by their calculation. Um, if you go to last year, we were also last in the league, but we were 96.3, according to NBA.com. And, um, you know, I just, I really, really struggled to watch a game like last night and feel like, you know, you're down 15 points. Why the fuck are you walking the ball up and calling set plays? Like, how is that going to get you back in the game? Against a team who, for all of Boston's flaws as a team, they are a top 10 defensive team by uh, defensive rating. Um, so last year, by the way, basketball reference had us at 95.9 pace. So no matter how you slice it, no matter what what you're looking at for your source, the Knicks have actually regressed slightly in terms of speed of play, which makes absolutely no sense with the roster they have. Um, are they the most, should they be leading the league in pace? No, but they should definitely be playing faster. Um, and the fact that they're not 
is very, very concerning to me. Uh, and I, you know, I think that speaks very specifically to coaching. Yeah, and I mean, when every and when it seems like every free agent acquisition really struggles, you know, um, that that starts to be a concern, right? Or that, um, you know, that the pieces aren't fitting, or you just can't find a lineup in two years that really gels on offense that well. Besides that bench lineup, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if do you, I mean, let me pose this to you guys: Do you guys think the, an offensive coordinator or something like that would be useful? Do you think it generally yes. works? when it's done like that. It's also funny you bring up the bench lineup because I think the pace is <laughs> the pace is also very different in that bench lineup, regardless of the overall offense we're fitting. Yeah, it's so. it actually grades out as slower, I think, but like if you actually watch them play like pace to me I know I just brought a pace, but like it's not just how many possessions you're getting. Right? It's also like what do those possessions look like? And the the bench might play at a slower pace than the starters, but when you actually just watch them play, they get into sets faster, particularly when it's not point Burks, right? That's another big problem is like him leaning on Burks who can't bring the fucking ball off the floor without taking the full eight seconds and then getting into a set takes another five seconds. And it's like, now you're up against the shot clock. Um, like, I mean, I'll just here, here's a team. Okay. Uh, what if I guess who the second slowest, uh, pace team in the league is. I have no clue. Um, hold on. Um, I'll say Brooklyn. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna say Brooklyn. Um, Miami. It is Miami. No. Oh. It's a good guess. I, wow. I, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how much you're watching Miami. Um, but like. When I watch them, I don't watch them a bunch, but I don't feel like they're they are slow. They play slow, and I'll tell you exactly why. Guess what they rank in assist ratio? Top five. They're third in the league by assist percentage. They're second in the league. Guess what the Knicks rank in assist percentage? Thirty. Twenty nine. <laughs> like that is the difference. It is not just about pace. Pace is part of it, but it's also about getting into your sets and then having options, having multiple things to cycle through. And all we ever seem to cycle through is if the first thing that we're running doesn't yield an, uh, a, a score, then it's just about having giving somebody the ball and having them create. And like, I think our, I think Fournier kind of mentioned, he's, he's made a lot of interesting comments last week. If anybody, nobody's been paying attention because it's Evan Fournier. Um, but like he said something after his 41 point explosion about how, you know, sometimes with us, like, it's about we somebody gets hot and then we just go to them and we have to find ways to, like, get everybody involved and keep everybody, you know, in the flow. That was more or less his comment. And, like, you know, again, maybe he was the wrong messenger. He's gotten hot this year. <laughs> yeah. I, but, like, that's I mean, yeah, that's a good point. But, I mean, that that's kind of like, um, you know, maybe it's the wrong messenger, but. I can't disagree with with the message at the end of it um, because I do think that you know um, the team has been quite quite poor um, in that sense. Yeah, I want to go back to quickly a little bit. I know you talked about how they're using him, not really running him off the ball, 
and even potentially giving him more on-ball opportunities. It's kind of funny because the the way that he's been or where he's been the most inefficient this season is kind of on those easier shots. He's he's not shooting very well on catch and shoot threes. Stacy cited that he's not shooting very well from the corners. Uh, he's shooting very well above the break. He's shooting very well on pull-up threes. And in the limited sample, he's shot very well in both isolation and pick and roll ball handler situations. Um, he's using about three pick and roll ball handler possessions a game. He's in the 84th percentile in points per possession there. Uh, isolation, it's even smaller sample size, about 1.3 possessions. He's in the 73rd percentile. Um, so, I mean, he's not just this stand on the wing, catch and shoot guy. He's a guy who can score. He can score in a few different ways. He can move well off the ball if he's utilized that way as well. So, uh, you know, obviously Tibbs' job isn't necessarily to optimize the game around Emmanuel quickly. It's to optimize the game around the whole team. But, uh, you know, situations like this, especially where you have Fournier out, you have Kemba out, you have Rose out, those are opportunities where you would like to see him used in different ways. So we'll see if that changes moving forward. Uh, we'll see if there's any adaptation, but it's not like the offense has been great at all this season, regardless. So I'm not sure who he's optimizing around right now. And and I think if you're going to opt, if you're going to say maybe somebody deserves to have uh, the offense more catered to what they need, it, it, you can argue quickly has been the best offensive player on the team. I would argue he's been the best player on the team this year. Um, I know that people still think that Derrick Rose is, you know, first, three weeks means that he had a great season. Um, and I don't even mean, look, I think we abused him that first three weeks or whatever it was, um, played him way too many minutes and that kind of resulted in him dropping off a bit. But, you know, like I know that uh, on off and all that kind of stuff isn't exactly the cleanest way to judge dudes, but you know, we're at however many games he, he's played in his career now, a uh, hundred games, shout out to quickly hundred games. Um, you know, he's been, a net positive since day one. Like he's, you know, plus 7.7 on court for his career, plus 10.9 on off. Both those numbers on court and on off have gone up this year. Um, Some of that is about how much the starting lineup has struggled, but like, you know, how many games have we seen him close the game because he's the best option. And I just, I think the entire argument, I think people just try to find idiotic reasons to like minimize how good he's been. Um, And it's like, you know, Knicks fans can't just fucking like. It's like they can't just look at the guy they picked twenty fifth, who is clearly outperforming that draft slot by, like, you know, an unbelievable degree. And all they can look at is like, well, he doesn't get to the rim enough. Well, you know, sometimes he's like small on defense, and like bigger guys can abuse him. And it's like, I mean, really, like, oh, he could be a better passer. And it's like that's the only thing you got, like. You should probably go fuck yourself. Uh, I don't really see why. I I agree with you. I mean, there's so many more excuses made for other players on the roster. I'll just leave it like that. Um, Other young players on the roster, um, as opposed to quickly. You mentioned the on-off stuff. Uh, You know, I'm going to get called a nerd for all this stuff. But if you look at the adjusted on-off types of numbers, which control the on-off for the teammates you're playing with and the opponents you're playing against, he ranks either first or second on the team offensively in literally all of them. Um, so EPM, or he ranks second on the team in all of them, but behind someone different. He's really the one constant. EPM, he ranks second after Kemba. LeBron, he ranks second after Obi. And Raptor, he ranks second after Rose. So, you know, the one consistent and, offensively 
is and the, is, and the LeBron number is almost like like I understand maybe Obi's per minute production has been better, but like you know I'm sure if you ask fucking Krangis like who he thinks has been a better offensive player, he'd probably mm-hmm. be like, yeah definitely quickly. Yeah, it depends on if you're leaning more on that on off type data or if you're leaning more on the box score type data. Mm. Um, but really, no matter which one you lean on, he's been one of the best offensive players. And, and the same thing last year, by the way, as a rookie. Yeah, and especially the defense has really taken off uh, for him. Uh, he doesn't get bullied anymore. I don't think that's a legitimate criticism. Um, this is interesting. I just pulled it up on PVP stats, um, but certainly for college, uh, you know, when you look at kind of on-off stats and uh, you know, three-point luck can be it can be a big factor. But two-point field goal percentage, especially at defense, can be a reasonable indicator. So over the past two seasons, with quickly there, um, the offense's two-point field goal percentage goes up from forty-eight to almost fifty-one percent. And on defense, it goes down from 52% with him out to 49% with him on, right? So smaller, small, I mean, those, those don't look like huge differences. But you can see the impact he has on both ends. Um, and I, I, I would so, argue those you know, are massive differences, by the way. Yeah, like, like you know, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, in, yeah. Um, yeah, I think for a one player being on and off, that's a pretty big deal. So you can't, I mean, he's a tenacious, wiry, on-ball defender. Um, you know, I think I, I think he actually gets penalized in many people's eyes for his versatility. I think it's time to start having that conversation. Are we saying he's not a point guard, he's a Lou Williams type because of what he can't do? Or because he can do both roles, right? Um I think I think Benji had a good tweet about this yesterday that it doesn't matter, right? He is a positive force and you shouldn't be the fact of the matter is we should be putting our best five players out there and nearly all lineups in which we are putting our best five players out there, have Emmanuel quickly in some shape or form out there. Uh, that's just the fact. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. His, and, and the thing is, like, the fact that he still can't really do much around, around the rim, if anything, speaks to his uh, his IQ, haha. Um, but also the fact that he's figured <laughs> out how to maximize without it. Um, and so once, you know, and we've seen other players overcome that or figure out how to meet threshold. Uh, finishing. I think Darius Garland this year is an example of a player who's done that. Um, but I, but I think you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think the you know to the extent that he you know he's been kind of up and down when he's tasked with being the primary ball handler. I don't think it has to do with point guard skills. I think he has good vision. I think his handle is, is solid. Um, I think he can he does the thing where he can anticipate and see a couple moves ahead. That you know, someone like Burke struggles with, or he's only going to see the first read. But quickly, I think the bigger problem is is that rim element is that defenses are going to play him a certain way, and that takes away certain reads. Um, once that you know, I think that will open up a lot, and then at that point, it won't be about is he a true point guard. Um, so that's my thoughts on him. Um, but I, I don't think I think his passing is fine. I think his his reads are fine, and all of that. Um, I did want to get back to the offensive coordinator point because I'd be interested in talking about that. But you know, any other thoughts on quickly from any of you guys? Yeah, I don't know if you'll ever get to whatever the magical, acceptable percentage of shots at the rim that apparently is mythically required for a point guard. Um, I'd but, like to see him play with stretch five, not to cut you off, but like we've never seen that. So that I, affects you. Could say that I do. To get- 
finish there. Hey, you could you could say that about the entire team. That's kind of my big like. I understand why people are low on RJ right now. I I get it. Uh, I don't agree with it necessarily, but I do get it. I mean, I voiced my own concerns earlier on this pod, so I'm not like unaware to it. But that's another guy, even Randall to an extent, where I'm like, you know, you want these guys to get downhill more. But you have never provided them with a five that that really opens the floor up for them. And even like, yeah, we'll get to the. I, just trust me, I do want to talk about the lack of Obi minutes. But like, even if you were to play Randall and Obi together, um, I don't think you're going to create more opportunities. At least not for RJ to get to the rim more. Maybe Randall and maybe Obi himself, but not like the perimeter guys. They're not going to benefit from that until Obi is really, you know shooting the ball at a high level if he if he if he ever does um hopefully he does i i mean the, the shot looks good it just it hasn't fucking gone in um but yeah like i just I, i'm with you there i think it's like this roster especially with the guys like if you're for better or worse the knicks to some extent are tied to julius and rj for at least the, this moment in time um you know like it's very odd to me that with two such players, you would not look to be more aggressive about getting a stretch five option or that. And maybe this, maybe the, the front office does want this and Tibbs has, has pushed back, but like not trying Randall and Obi more uh, together. And, um, you know, I know me and Stacy talked about this on our last pod, but like, yeah, Lucas Amanich, who knows? He's probably, probably doesn't amount to a whole much a whole lot but like that's a guy if you kind of look around the nba like i I would imagine if you compared his measurements to dario saric who is out for this season i think but you know he was playing a bunch of backup stretch five for the the suns last year and he was great at it for them um they actually really struggled in the playoffs that they might have won the finals if they had that option for them um but like i would imagine his measurements match up pretty well to dario saric uh, obviously that doesn't mean he's going to be as good, but the point being is like, you do maybe have some internal options, but like, yeah, I'm with you. Like I, at some point the front office, like it's fine being patient and, you know, uh, having, I like, I, it's good that they had the idea of like, this is how we want to play. And we want our five to do this one specific thing. I think that's a good foundation to set, especially last year. Right. Because for the longest time, the Knicks have not settled on something. It's just like, this player is good. Let's get to this. And, but then you like put it together and you're like, well, how, how does he work with this? I, I get why they did what they did last year, but this is also, why I was disappointed in them bringing back Nerlens, even though I think people are making a bit too much about, Oh my God, the contract, the contract's fine. It doesn't really matter. Um, but like, this is why I didn't really want Nerlens back because I thought you had an op- opportunity to get a different type of big, be that a stretch big or, I mean, the other way to create space without a stretch big is what a big that is, a great screen setter on the perimeter that you can't just sag off because if you sag off of him, then the ball handler is going to get, you know, a wide open shot or a wide open runway to the rim. And we have neither, you know, Todd is our best screen setter and like, bless his heart. The guy's 36, you know, we're asking way too much of him. If, if that's what we expect, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you need to put Jericho Sims in the game more. I don't know. All I know is the Knicks are not getting enough out of that five position. And I, I agree with you, Derek, hundred percent that, in, in the case of Emmanuel quickly, in the case of a lot of guys in this team, I think that is having a very, very big uh, impact on what they're able to do offensively.
sorry. Great. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think that that's, I think the stretch five thing, uh, I, I am very interested to see what Lucas Savanich can do. Um, just real quick, I mean, if the Knicks were to hire an offense coordinator or to go that route, do you have examples of where that's really worked for teams? Yeah. And on another note, uh, do you have any guys in mind who you would want to target for that? Or do you go from within? Because the Knicks certainly have some qualified uh, assistant coaches. Yeah, look, I, I, I would guess this. I would guess that this is not the offense that Johnny Bryant wants to run. Just a guess. Um, the guy came from Utah. I have a hard time believing that you know, he imagines an offense where it's actually kind of funny because Utah actually has one of the lower assist percentages in the league. But again, like this is where you, you know, you have to like actually watch these teams play a little bit because I mean, do you watch Utah and think that they don't move the ball or like move, you know, have a bunch of movement off ball and stuff like that? I don't I think they definitely do. Well, they, I just, they have two of the best pick and roll ball handlers in the league, and they have one of the best screen setters in the league. Yeah. Also. Yeah, and I, th- I think they also just like do a great job of creating favorable ISO situations, right? So it's like if you're not getting an assist, it's okay. Like the Clippers have a shitty assist percentage too, um, and they they've always had that, even with Kawhi and PG are healthy. But it's like they do a much better job of creating favorable situations for those guys. Anyway, I don't want to go too much into this, but. Um, yeah, like I think that Johnny Bryant would probably want to deploy the offense differently. I think we would probably see a lot more off-ball stuff. I would imagine you would see a player like quickly get empowered a lot more. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's worked in a number of places before. I know for sure um, we saw this, uh, you know, Chris Finch, he's somebody I actually thought the Knicks should have hired in 2018 when they hired uh, the wonderful David Fisdale, um, bless his heart. Uh, but yeah, he, he has, you know, he had a track record of being an offensive coordinator in multiple places and succeeding. Um, he went to Denver, their offense picked up. He went to New Orleans, their offense picked up. Um, you know, that was, that was one. D'Antoni has had a track record of being a very good offensive assistant. I think if you actually watch the Nets this year, bring him uh, home, bring him home. <laughs> I think if you, I mean, if he, he's at, he's with New Orleans in some capacity right now. I think he's like a, like a consultant for them. I don't know. But that seems like. That would be such a clash of styles, right? Thibodeau and D'Antoni. I mean, you need someone to clash a little what bit with Dan, with Tibbs. I mean, it's just the the pace, right? That's the the start there, right? But but but, but D'Antoni's coached slow teams. I mean, those Houston teams he coached were not fast. That's true. Yeah, like he's coached and he he ice he he can set up ISOs that would satisfy Tibbs's, uh, you know his threshold. We got to ISO at least 78% of the time. Like, uh, I don't worry. I got this. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, he's great with slow footed, left-handed heliocentric players. Exactly. (laughs) Um, in different tiers potentially, but like, yeah, I I don't know Harden is quite as good as RJ. So that definitely goes well. (laughs) Or Randall. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if D'Antoni would come. I don't know if that would work, but like, yeah, sure, he would be. He would be a guy that I think he's shown. Like, I, I think again, if you look at Brooklyn this year versus last year, uh, their offense looks worse to me. Um, I don't even know what the offensive rating is. I would imagine it's much. I mean, they were weren't they? Didn't they grade as like the best offense in NBA history or something last year? Um, and they're at twelve. They did have Kyrie Irving. Yeah, they did have Kyrie Irving, but even without Kyrie, I think they were playing pretty outrageous um and if you look at all their underlying numbers they're way down i mean their three-point attempt rate is like nixian levels uh, they haven't had joe harris either i hate to make excuses for for brooklyn but 
Well, that's fine. I won't make excuses for them because I don't think Joe Harris should affect your team to this level. Uh, and if it does, maybe that's... Making $85 hard. million. Dollars, I would hope he's affecting yeah. their offense. Um, but yeah, I mean, their offensive rating this year, uh, if you look at it, has dropped now to 12th, and last year they were first. I mean, this is you're talking about a seven-point difference. 118.3 last year, and they're like 111.2 right now this year. So, yeah, even adjusting for no Joe Harris, lack of Kyrie Irving, whatever... Uh, that's pretty concerning. Their three-point attempt rate is way down. Almost, they're taking 5% less threes, basically, this year. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can point to. But anyway, the point being is, Dan Tony has shown that, obviously, he is a guy that has impact uh, if you empower him offensively. Obviously, I mean, that goes beyond Brooklyn either, right? We can point to his career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this has happened in a lot of places. Uh, I, I don't I don't personally think it's like a controversial thing. Who would, who should the Knicks hire? Who is out there? I, I'm not sure. I haven't really sat down and thought about it, but like, um, you know, I imagine that there's plenty of guys around the NBA who have not had the opportunity to be more empowered on a coaching staff that would love to have the opportunity to do it in New York. Um, I'm not too worried about that. And yeah, I, I I suspect that there are even people on our own staff, uh, maybe like a Johnny Bryant specifically who, maybe should be empowered more to, to make changes to the offense. Um, you know, uh, I'd be curious to see if Tibbs got put in like, uh, if he, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't happen because he never wanted to happen to anybody. But if he was in health and safety protocol, uh, I would be, I would be curious to see what the team would look like if there were any changes, uh, for a couple of games, you know, we don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would just, I guess like you could just look at, you'd probably want to go find like the better offenses in the NBA. Uh, check out their staffs and and see who kind of who, who might be poachable. Utah is number one. Hawks are two. Hornets three. Miami four. Chicago five. You know, Milwaukee six. Memphis seven. Somebody from these abs, you got to think, would like to have the opportunity to do it in New York. Johnny Bryan is also associate head coach, right? Yes. Yeah, so I I think that would probably be more natural, but that also seems like an awkward conversation to have if you're Leon Rose, right? Like, how do you um, how do you kind of indicate that? Listen to this guy more on offense, you know? Um, it just seems uh, seems difficult, but it certainly seems like it'd be beneficial. Yeah, I'm not. I, it's it's definitely a weird conversation to have, but you know, at some point, it's a conversation that that needs to be had. Um, cause look like the Knicks have made some significant changes to the output of their offense. Uh, I think they're eighth and three point attempt rate this year, ninth in percentage, uh, from three. Uh, I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes, but I think that's because of how shitty the two point scoring is that it really exacerbates it. Um, but it's like when you're, if you're shooting that many threes and your percentage is pretty good. Like, your two-point percentage just has to be higher. And if it's not, it probably does say something about, yes, it does say something about your personnel, but I do think it also says something about your coaching, too. Um, like, yeah, you're creating this space, but now how are you leveraging it to to reap more than just, like, kickouts for threes? You know, there's And it's half-court and transition, too. Like, transition, easy opportunities, contributed two-point percentage, and then half-court scheme and talent, obviously. Um, especially with the three-point volume and efficiency, you'd think you'd be able to get more efficient twos. Yeah, I, I'm. I, 
could not agree more. Uh, but if we're going to talk about somebody who is could help us shoot better from two, uh, enter Obi Toppin, who's had a pretty rough last two, three games, just kind of invisible. Um, I'm not entirely sure how, that's all his fault. I would say that it's felt like he's been really uninvolved in the last two or three games offensively, too. Um, and, you know, I'm just at a point where, like, if he struggles, he struggles. Like, he can't play nine minutes and Todd's play 18. That that cannot happen. That just is so fucking stupid on every possible level. Like, I just can't. I don't get it. I, I really, really don't understand it. And um, I'll, I think that, like, it's easy to just blame Tibbs. And he does deserve some blame for it. But, like, you're at a point now where it does at some it does start to reflect on the front office like you drafted this guy eighth overall okay um he was always going to be a player that you needed to have a very specific plan for in terms of how are you you were going to use him how you're going to maximize the minutes that definitely got even more muddied because of Randall randomly becoming awesome last year but like that's a problem you have to work around. You know, you it's not, and it's, guess what? I mean, I know Randall hasn't played anywhere near that level this year, but that's like a good problem to have. Oh man, this guy's playing so good, and now we have to figure out how to play him and Obi together. Like, that's a good fucking problem. Um, I don't, I mean, it says something, it's increasingly started to say something where, what is the plan for him? And if, does he, is there any path or plan for him to play more than as Randall's backup? And if not, like, why is he here? And should the Knicks just trade him then? Because you're not going to get, like, his value is not going to change unless that happens. Um, because, like, like, look, we all have watched way too many Knicks games this year. But, like, there's such a large gap between the view of how Knicks fans have viewed Obi this year and how other people do. And I don't blame them because he doesn't play that much. So if you're just a casual fan who doesn't follow the Knicks that closely and you're just like, you know, you just turn on a game every now and then and you watch them. All you see is about 10 minutes of Obi Toppin. That's it. You're going to watch him for 10 minutes and he'll be out of the fucking game. Like, I don't know how he's supposed to develop or what the upside is. But, like, if that's the limit of what we're going to do with him, then please use him in a trade to address another position. Because that, that it's so fucked. Like, what is the point of that? I don't know. I Like, I just yeah. struggle to understand what the point of it is. I think it's kind of unfair to pin it on the front office. Uh, I mean, when they drafted him, it kind of made sense. I mean, they drafted him in an offseason where Julius Randle was looking like an extremely detrimental player. Everyone wanted to move him. They draft this awesome four, right? Obi Toppin. All of a sudden, Randle is a world beater out of nowhere. And Toppin rightfully doesn't play that much. Now, this season, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, Randle is like back to his old ways in in a way, like, if you want to say that, uh, and Toppin has improved versus last season, and the minutes are kind of the same season over season. So I don't think, like, guys like Leon Rose necessarily are super happy about that development, or at least the guys in the front office who are, who are behind Obi and want to see him succeed. So I, I don't know. I mean, the, the front office isn't making those kind of decisions. I think we've seen – We've seen steps clearly from from Obi this season in both confidence and effectiveness versus last year. So uh, he just hasn't gotten he hasn't gotten the opportunities. Um, 
pretty. Uh, so I, I, I tweeted this yesterday because I thought it was interesting. Um, apparently, I was told that it wasn't interesting because uh, even if we had played Obi and Randall together, we wouldn't have won the game. So apparently, you're not allowed to to make any changes that might benefit you long term. Um, but here, here it is uh, with Obi and Randall on the floor. Uh, the Knicks shoot 44.4% of their field goals from three, 12.3% are dunks, 25.3% are layups, and just 13% for mid-range. These samples, this sample is extremely tiny, by the way. It's a 90-minute sample, 162 field goal attempts. For the year, the Knicks overall, 42.9% of their total field goal attempts are from three, 6.4% dunks, 21.7% layups, 19.9% for mid-range. Um... I have no clue if those that shot distribution follows through, um, and you know I, I don't know. I have no clue. Also, the Obi and Randall group in ninety minutes has been uh, they play at a pace of one hundred and one, which would be like <laughs> just just I'm just looking at it right now. If they had a one hundred and one pace, that would be like number one per Basketball Reference this year. Literally, I will say that one. just here. Purely statistically speaking, when you use the small minute samples like that, the efficiencies and all of that stuff, it's almost entirely noise. But some of the other trends, like how many field goals you're taking from a specific spot, uh, you know, two-point attempts versus three-point attempts, those types of stats actually do stabilize a whole lot quicker. So um, to your earlier point about just how the offense is working, I think those stats could potentially be meaningful already in 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and I just like I just don't really understand not trying it at a certain point. Like yesterday, you need an offensive spark, right? Like the team is stuck in mud. You can't you, you're you're just bogged down in these brutal half court sets. You're not getting anything going. You're not opening up the paint at all. Like there's no movement. How like why is your move there to go to Taj? You know, like I just don't see how you look at the game yesterday and you're watching it if you're the coach and you're like we need to find something somewhere. That that was not a game where Todd is going to come in and change it for you. You know, like Todd does things that Todd does very specific things, and he he does them very well at times. Um, but like that game was not crying out. If there was if it was going to see the Knicks make a comeback, it was not going to be because of Todd Gibson. You know, um, and again, just like a very very small sample. But uh, if you just look at Julius Randle in the minutes he's played with Ob, uh, sixty two true shooting. 25 and a half usage. So he's actually down his usage uh, from his normal level. Uh, 59 and a half EFG, 62 shooting again. So, I mean, again, who knows if that would persist, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it just, it seems very, very weird not to try it at all, especially given how at best to be generous, mediocre our fives have been this year. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't get it much either. Um, especially, you know, the the really only time we tried it was with um, when we had all those injuries, um, and you know, really only had one big, uh, and even Kevin Knox got minutes there. But um, at some point, you have to. And the thing is, when Tibbs has played it, he's actually, I think, he knows how to make that lineup work because they do tend to switch more. They tend to be more aggressive in trying to force turnovers to mitigate for the lack of rim protection. And I actually think that suits some of the, uh, some of the Knicks perimeter defenders better than kind of this help and scramble and recover um, scenario. I think it suits RJ really well. I think it suits 
um, rows pretty well. I think it shoots uh, Burks well. Um, and at some point, again, I mean, are these conversations that need to start happening? Um, and, you know, does Tibbs need to maybe bend a little bit on the, the my way or the highway thing? But in a game, you end up losing by 24, where, again, to your point, the offense was stagnant. Nothing is really doing. It's not like Todd is changing the game. Um, and Mitch kind of has given what she's given you, which, I, I mean, I didn't think Mitch was the biggest reason they lost yesterday, but uh, he can't move Robert Williams outside the paint. And, you know, we don't have the shot makers that Boston does. So that's where we lost. Um, it's very disappointing that he's not willing to try that. Um, and he didn't even try it in garbage time yesterday when he left fucking Randall in. Yeah, and th- that's valuable time we're losing. Um, I mean, this, after I think, uh, you know, starting Alfred last year for the entire season, this is probably the most head scratching coaching um, decision or lack of one um, from Tibbs. Is, is that fair to say, you think? Um, yeah, probably. That and just weirdly not starting quickly until yesterday was another interesting choice. Yeah, and, and I, I relate that to last year. Honorable mention, honorable mention to just straight up benching Kemba out of nowhere, like <laughs> taking his minutes out entirely, like not not benching him, like banishing him to the shadow realm, like out of nowhere, I'm having him come back and like just drop easy 40. <laughs> there there were a lot of people calling for that, um, I will say, particularly on a certain Discord. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that was nearly as egregious as, um, and I, I will say, I think the quickly not starting is tied to the Alfred thing, so... This year? No, what I'm saying is when you talk about the decision to start Alfred all of last year, that was oh, at least pressure. in part by, you know, is quickly aggressive enough to be a starting point guard, all of those things, which which I think is also part of the reason why he hasn't started this year. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't quite hit that that mythical threshold of room pressure that you really and need, fl- you know. Floor general. Um Yeah. But um, but I mean, I like I think even yesterday, Burks was technically listed as the point guard in the starting lineup. So um, it's he looked really of, good uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Burks got us. <laughs> I actually feel really bad for Burks. He's being extended. So yeah, he's not a point guard. He's actually not a point guard. That's the thing. <laughs> like that's where those apply. Well, his handle isn't good enough, also, and it takes and away he's from his defense. His too. Yeah, it he's takes better. Away from his defense. Like it, 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 you can just see he doesn't. He does not have the legs to to do the things that you need to be a point guard in the NBA. For like, there's a difference between we can run offense through you for stretches off the bench versus be a point guard. You know, like the pretty big fucking difference. Again, this is the argument everyone makes about quickly, and it's like no, because every time he is trusted for extended stretches to run the offense, the offense does pretty well, particularly when he's paired with people like Randall and Barrett. Who can who can play off it well and and he does he's not asked to kind of create out of nothing as much. That's what that's really what I saw in that first quarter where I, I felt like it was the you know quickly is not a guy who you want uh, at thirty usage right. Uh, he's not a guy you want running pick and roll every time down the floor, but he he he's a guy who can do enough on the ball and enough off the ball where if you pair him with a guy like Julius who by the same token he's not a guy you want posting up or isoing a ton. But you want him to do that just enough to like they they complement each other's game reasonably well uh, when quickly is not deferring too much, 
and then you add in RJ to that, like there's a reason why those three guys have consistently been in really highly rated lineups together because uh, our games mesh very well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's I mean that's the rhetoric that you're tired of hearing. It's like well, quickly isn't really a point guard. He's more of a guy who can run offense for stretches. No, that's Burks, right? And for some reason, he's the starting point guard, and it's it's making everyone everything works for everyone, including him. Yeah, don't worry, Ryan Archie Diakono got us. It's coming. Yeah, that he does. <laughs> Shout out Nova. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm. I, I'm sorry. The quickly thing just drives me absolutely nuts, man. I like. And, uh, like, actually, you know, this is probably a good place to do this. Uh, you know, Derek, uh, got into a bunch of Twitter wars yesterday, it looked like. Uh, oh, um, I didn't see this. You know, tweeting, or, he, you know. Stacey, you weren't there to quote for me, man. I needed you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not trading. Well, you basically said you wouldn't trade quickly for, for De'Aaron Fox. Is that more Oh, like this, happening? I saw, I saw, this I, became a cold thing, right? Yeah. Yes. I, I will, um, I will not trade quickly. Or I would in in the scenario where I was making the decisions. I would. Well, it was actually it was yeah. Chris um, Persianen who said that, and then Derek backed that up with uh with some stats. I see now. Emmanuel quickly is a better player than De'Aaron Fox. Send tweet. Definitely would like to hear more thoughts on that. <laughs> so so that one was a bit facetious, but the point was really more that I wouldn't trade him in that deal, and I think it's debatable that. Right now, he's actually a more valuable NBA asset outright than Fox. That might be a little bit more of a hot take, but that's one I would stand by. Um, he's making barely any money under control for the next three seasons, and he's he's not maxed out like Fox is. He's a little bit younger than Fox. Uh, and you know, based on what we've seen the past couple of seasons, he's debatably put up a better on-court performance than Fox has. Uh, especially when you look at the the type of player they are as well. Um, I think Fox looks like the kind of guy where you sort of need to run things around him. Uh, he hasn't really shown the adaptability as a shooter. Uh, he hasn't shown the, the defensive ability to fit in with a few different lineups that quickly has. Um, and Fox's playmaking and efficiency just hasn't been good enough to be that kind of a heliocentric guy. Obviously, he's played on the Kings, but if you look at some of the on-off stuff, which, you know, hypothetically, if you're playing on a terrible team, that could help your on-off look pretty good. Uh, it's been poor. He's, he's never posted an on or he hasn't posted an above average on-off over the any of the past three seasons. So, uh, you know, it's not as much. It could be partly me being high on quickly, partly me just feeling Fox is overrated right now, especially on the contract he's on. Shun, what do you think about the Fox? Uh, are you? I know you're not a big Darren Fox fan, but you wouldn't include quickly either. Um. So yeah, I, I wouldn't trade. Like my my thing with quickly is, you know, he's obviously been a net positive player for two years in a row. I think he's been really, really good. Um, almost so good that I don't think people really understand. Like it's almost like I don't even think Knicks fans or anybody. It almost feels like we again we would just focus so much on the things he's not good at and overlook. We take for granted actually how good he is at certain things. Um, with regard to Fox, like if you're trading quickly for Fox, right? If you're including him in a package, it's not a one for one thing, right? 
And the other part of it is like people are like, well, of course you trade quickly for Fox. Okay, fine, but like you're not just going to trade quickly. You're going to trade quickly plus other shit plus picks. Like that is where I just kind of don't understand it. And I don't think they. First of all, I don't. I think we'd be safe from ourselves in a way. I don't think they want quickly. Because they have Halliburton, and they have Davion Mitchell. Like, they, they don't need quickly, right? They probably wouldn't want him. Uh, so, like, I just, it's kind of funny, because if you said, would you trade quickly for, our, for for Fox, people would be like, yeah, absolutely, like, 100%. And I feel like if you asked, what well, would you trade RJ for Fox, people would be like, oh, no, definitely not. And, um, look, I'm still a pretty big, I, I still believe in RJ. I think he's going to get there. But, like, you know, quickly has outplayed him. This year, at least, for sure. Uh, he's been a better player. So, uh, he's also on a cheaper contract. He has more team control. Like, it it does feel like there's just kind of a pedigree thing going on here. Like, I mean, I've seen people say, oh, well, quickly comes off the bench. Whose fucking fault is that? Whose fault is that? Is that quickly's fault that he's coming off the bench? Sure shit isn't his. Yeah, like, that... Yeah, so I didn't understand that, and my thing like if you were to trade, here's the here's a good one. If you traded quickly right now, like let's say you were like, you know what, we just want to blow this thing up again. We want to fucking get as much draft capital as we can. What would you want for quickly, Stacy? If we, well, I mean, I would be trading him for a star, right? No, no, no. But let's just say you're like, I just want, I want picks. Let's just say you're like, I, I'll take picks. How many picks do you want for quickly? Um. I'd want three, and I'd want at least one to be unprotected. Yeah, so whatever it is, like this is kind of my point. People, like, you're not just going to give up quickly, like, and get Fox, right? It's not even going to just, it not, it's not going to be just quickly and Burks and Nerlens Noel and some other fucking contract for, and quickly for Fox. No, no, it's going to be quickly. It's going to be multiple picks. It's probably going to be one of your good bets. Like, and and I just don't understand why that would be a good deal. Um, because, like, I, I mean, do people, like, watch De'Aaron Fox play? Because what I always hear is, well, the Knicks need to get a point guard so that life is easier for, like, RJ and Randall, stuff like that, right? You know, they have to do too much. You need, like, they need somebody who can, you know, take the defense's attention away, scramble it, penetrate, all this stuff. And I I don't fundamentally disagree with that. Um, but, like, do you watch De'Aaron Fox play? Because if you watch De'Aaron Fox play, what you will see is a player who has zero utility off the ball. Okay, he has zero utility off the ball because he's not a good shooter. He doesn't move off the ball. So he's zero utility off the ball. Talking about a guy, then, whose entire utility is predicated on giving him over 30 usage and him being so good as a scorer playmaker with that usage that it's worth it. And then you have to have guys who can play off of that well. Does that sound like the point guard you want? Or if like presumably in this scenario you want to him you want to pair him with Randall and RJ. Does that sound like the point guard you want? Cuz it doesn't fucking sound like the point guard I'd want with those guys. So I just like now if you want to say Trade RJ for Fox, trade Randall for Fox. I don't know how I feel about those things, but that is a lot more worthwhile than than anything else to me. 
Yeah. Uh, no, I tend to agree. And, I mean, that's without even considering Fox's contract, right? I mean, I know you kind of touched on it with um, the fact that we'd have to... The, the fact that you'd have to pair... Uh, you'd have to put multiple players together in a package. Uh, you touched on it, but um, we're, we're trading, yeah, a guy who is good on and off ball. For a guy who's only good on ball um, and who makes about 20 times the salary, right? So... Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think Fox is like, look, he's a really talented player and there are scenarios I would trade for him. Like, you know, look, we just talked about Obi. I don't know what the plan is for Obi, but like, if there is really just, if we're going to have to deal with this thing where he's not going to have a chance to really earn a bigger minutes role, then, you know, just play, (laughs) just, I mean, I would include him in a trade for Fox then. Uh, and I would probably include... You know, I think a guy like Grimes, I like Grimes. I think he's a really promising young player. But, like, I do think that there's an upside with Fox as a potential primary, given his, you know, skill set. Um, you know, I don't like, I, I don't know how much these things matter. But, like, you know, he did average 25 points per game last year. Uh, I do think, like, having a scorer, a point guard, somebody who can really challenge, uh, you know, other defenses and put them in rotation with his speed would help this team a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I have to look, but I think he's always been like a pretty good finisher, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, I mean, I know he definitely gets there a bunch. So I, I, there's, there's parts of his game that I really like and, and, you know, things that he does that are clearly worthwhile. It's just like, is the package what it should be? Is the package appealing? Uh, and ultimately like, you know, is he a guy that, I feel comfortable. I, I just don't feel comfortable giving away quickly for somebody like him because I don't like, to me, he's a gamble. Like, yeah, he's a good player and there's things he does that are really exciting and good, but like, he's still a fucking gamble because why is he available? He's available because the Kings have not been able to create a good team around him. That's not his fault entirely. And obviously the Kings are the Kings. So, you know, take out the grain of salt, but like, it does say something about him. Like, you know, it, it does. It it does say that he's not an easy fit. He's not a guy you can just put put out there with anybody and he's good to go. And you that no, he, he needs certain pieces around him. He needs better spacing around him. He needs probably a stretch five, kind of look at our team. Um he need like I just he's not a good defensive player, so you need to have a strong defensive lineup around him. Um so yeah, yeah I, I don't I'm know. Not against acquiring Fox on principle. Um my whole point was I view quickly as the kind of asset that I wouldn't move in a deal for a player of that caliber. Uh, yes, it is a gamble. And, you know, I don't want to make a, a gamble on a guy who makes 30% of the cap for the next four years. I, I just don't think that's worth it for a guy who hasn't shown. I mean, you, people want to call quickly a backup point guard. Um, the Kings have been at their best this season when Darren Fox is not the point guard. So, I mean, Halliburton has taken over the keys of the offense. It's been great. I think, Schwinn, you made the point that Kings fans' view of Fox right now seems to be very different of of Knicks fans' view of Fox. And I guess, you know, that's always fair when a team sours on their own player, but they have soured on this player, and there are reasons that they have soured on him. So, uh, yeah, I think if you're moving quickly, it's for a better player. And if you're trading for Fox, it's for fewer assets. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you just look at their, their numbers... Um... 
him and Harrison Barnes are by far their worst like uh, rotation players based on 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 off and on court rating. Um, everybody worse than them are they're just dudes that have barely played. Uh, like Emmanuel Mudiay, who played eleven minutes. Shout out Emmanuel. Uh, somebody called Aid Murky, uh, Nemius Keta, who's played ten minutes, and Justin Robinson, who's played fifteen. The rest, like after that, those are the four. Those are the the only four that have a worse uh, on-off rating than those two, uh, and also the only four that have a worse on-court rating than uh, Fox or Harrison Barnes. So, like, yeah, I mean, they're basically the worst, however you want to look at it, by their, their roster. Now, like, some of that is about their roster. Um, and just, like, yeah, I mean, having Fox and Halliburton and Buddy Heald, and, like, that that's not a very functional grouping, um, at least not defensively, but they're also worse offensively with Fox on the floor. So, like, again, I, I'm not, I don't think he's a bad player. I actually think Fox can be pretty fucking good. Um, but, like, I don't know. I just, I don't watch this guy and think, well, if you just put him on this Knicks team, he could take it to a ne- the next level because he, had, like, a lot of the same issues the Knicks present are the ones that the Kings present. Like, there's not a lot of great spacing around him. And he doesn't have any off-ball utility. So now you're going to put him with Julius and RJ. And what, they're going to space the floor more for Fox? Uh, I also think he's, like, a pretty overrated pick-and-roll player um, in terms of, like, he's good at scoring out of pick-and-roll. But I don't think he's very good at working with the roll man uh, to feed him. I don't think he's all that great at drive and kick. I don't think he maximizes it. Probably the better way of putting it. Um, the opening openings he creates. He's the kind of guy you need to cater around on both ends. Like you mentioned the offense. You have to cater around him on defense too. He's, he's not a good defensive player. Um, and so you mentioned the passing out of pick and rolls. He, according to Clean the Glass right now, in terms of point guards, his percentile for assist to usage ratio, guess what it is? Second. Zeroth. Zeroth. Is that a word? <laughs> Zeroth percentile, which means he, he literally has the worst assist to usage ratio of any point guard in the NBA. Um, and that is with being a, an okay, I mean, a good, a good pick and roll scorer for sure. Um, so, I mean, he ranks as a pick and roll ball handler. I mean, uh, is, is it good? I mean, he's, he's, run the, he's run the third most pick and roll possessions per game. Uh, in the NBA this season, he currently ranks in the 13th percentile um, in those possessions. So, you know, again, he, it's been a it's been a down year. If you're acquiring him, you're assuming that he's going to be better than what he's shown this year. But, uh, you know, what he's shown. And this I, year I, I, I actually bad. do think like he will be better. You know, like I, I'm not I don't doubt that. It's like, but how good is his his best? And I mean, um if you even go back to um, like just just because we are on the topic of it, uh, even if you go back to like last year, okay, he was forty. He's nine and a half possessions a game as pick and roll ball handler, sixty second percentile. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, but like, I mean, I, I don't know. Is that? I, I guess like what I don't know is how good is that exactly? Like if you look at just the guys who used the most possessions last season, and I'm using last season because it was his best offensive year anyway, 
Um, like all the guys above him on that list, in terms of usage of possessions, are more efficient. Um, not necessarily drastically so, but they are more efficient. So it's like, how much? I mean, is he hitting the the requisite threshold? And if his playmaking isn't so good out of it, then what does it really create? I don't know. It's, he, I just, I guess, like it's not that I don't want. I would not want De'Aaron Fox, but I do think the conversation about like what you should give up to get him probably requires a little bit more nuance than like of course you would trade quickly for fox like because it's not a fucking one-for-one deal like it's not and it's it's also not like you have to send out again you have to send out matching salary they're gonna want more if you think quickly plus matching salary will get you deer and fox you can sell me on that trade you can sell me on that He'd really fit in. He'd really fit in on our roster in the sense that we'd have another guy who had a career year. Yeah, and he's a lefty, so there's that. Uh, (laughs) And he went to where do you go school? You can't trade a Kentucky guy for him anyway. But like, that's kind of just my like. It's if you just if you told me, well, we can trade a bunch of bullshit contract the the matching contracts and quickly, and that's the deal. Look, I, I I would have my reservations, but I. I think you have to. I think you have to take that chance. Okay, like I, I'm not. I can see her make jokes about like, oh, quickly doesn't rim pressure, but like, yeah, there's something to that, and obviously, like the fact that Fox has proven that he can score at on high usage in this league at decent efficiency, uh, that does mean something, you know. Like though, though that's not a, that's not a, in like that's not a skill that has no value or something, you know. I'm aware of that, but, but like. That's never that's never going to be the deal. That's never going to be the deal. It's always going to be like quickly plus matching contracts. They'll probably fucking want OB2. They'll probably want a few picks. They'll probably like you're not stopping there. And that's where I just kind of lose it because to me um and the other piece of it is this like I, I think if I got Darren Fox, I would definitely want quickly. I would definitely want quickly to stay then because I think he is actually the type of player who would be awesome next to Darren Fox. Like if you're talking about how to make De'Aaron Fox and the Knicks work, part of that is probably playing with Emmanuel quickly, who is good on defense and is a really good off-ball player and has already demonstrated how dynamic of a pairing he can make with another penetrating, dynamic scoring guard like Derrick Rhodes. So, um, yeah, I just, to me, the, the quickly Fox conversation is like, there's a lot more nuance to it than than at least a lot of people were giving it credence to yesterday. Maybe the salaries match for Fox for Randall. I think they do. Actually, I don't think they do. Darren Fox makes like what thirty-five million a year, so yeah. yeah. I think we've discussed that trade on the yeah, show too. Yeah, and trade? I still like. It, I just think, I think Fox in a, in a lot of ways is like, you know, the grass is greener, I the beholder stuff. Like you know, it's Julius has been extremely frustrating to watch this year, uh, especially given how he played last year. I'm not sure that the solution is trade him for De'Aaron Fox. I feel like that's something where you're trading your problem, I guess, for another team's problem. And is that solving either of them? I don't know. Maybe. I have no clue. Um, you know, again, De'Aaron Fox is another guy that if I acquired him, I'd probably want to figure out how to get a stretch five, like, which remains an issue for this team. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I The Fox thing is just kind of, to me.
yeah um no yeah i mean i i would have to agree i um and with the randall thing i i think there's an argument for why fox would be worthwhile to trade randall for um but we would have to give up extra pieces but it wouldn't just be a straight up trade on the same note so um but i mean i think the point remains um i think prez just tweeted something about this that uh, you know, if you see what Lance Stevenson has done for the Pacers, and I'm not arguing that he's some permanent fix, right? But um, I think Prez's exact tweet was, when an offense lacks someone who can get to the rim, um, someone who can scramble a defense like that, um, you can see what what that does, right, for an offense that lacks it. Uh, and most teams have that, so it hasn't gotten as much consideration. But at some point, the Knicks are going to have to have that. Um, as far as if that guy is in the roster... I think that sounds like something like RJ taking a leap, or at this point, I'm, maybe I'm too far gone, but Rokas Yokubaitis maybe is that kind of guy. I think we've talked about that, but that does seem to be, that's how you end up going sub 40% from two against the Celtics. Uh, and give them credit for great defense, but that is um, that is what's missing in the offense, it, and it's exacerbated with Derek Rose out. Yeah, so. 100%. Um, definitely agree with that, but uh, I guess that's uh, probably a pretty good place to end it. Um, Derek, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, well, I wanted to thank you guys for, for having me on. Um, hopefully next time I'm back, it'll be greener grasses. Um, if you like what you heard or if you just want to yell at me, feel free to follow me at the underscore rife on Twitter. Um, you also mentioned the the analytics account, which I'm running through the Strickland. So be sure to check that out as well. Um, but hope to be back on the soon on the show pretty soon. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, uh, Stacy. Anything that you like plug before we get out of here? No, not at the moment. Nice, nice, good stuff. Uh, I got nothing to plug uh, personally, but I will say, Schwinn, uh, it would be a real shame if the Jets beat the Bills. I mean, today. it would probably be actually a real shame for the Jets since. Um, you know, you probably could use the best pick you can get. Um, but I don't think that'll happen. We'll see. Uh, we need Kayvon Thibodeau and Tom Thibodeau <laughs> in the same city, right? So. Uh, but yeah, I got I got nothing to plug. Uh, so I will. Uh, I'll just plug. Uh, you know, President, a really good video. Uh, we posted on YouTube on our YouTube channel about screen defense. I would check that out. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that the Knicks lost yesterday, but they did win the game on Thursday. And I would uh, definitely recommend uh, reading uh, Matthew Miranda's uh, his recap of that game. It was awesome. Uh, but that is our pod for today. Hope everybody has a great week, and I'll see you. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.